You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. Uprise Radio and 3CR, we'd like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians on the land from which we broadcast. We acknowledge the ongoing struggle for Aboriginal rights and we pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging. was Fight the Power by Public Enemy from the 1990 album Fear of a Black Planet. And Public Enemy being in the news this week as they played at one of Bernie Sanders' rallies and came to the news with Flavor Flav displaying his uh, poor timing and poor attitude really to get the lawyers involved to get his, um, you know, he's been in and out of the band actually for years an interesting story about when I saw them in Melbourne, but we might have to leave that for another day. As you are listening to Uprise Radio, it is Wednesday, 4th of March, and we're speaking on what in the United States is Super Tuesday. And Super Tuesday is one of the key dates in the race to find a candidate to compete against Trump in the November election. Uh, so whether you, you know, you've been glued to the TV all day or you're just tuning in to find out what's gone down, please stay tuned for the next half an hour because we're going to be discussing some of the issues that have come out of today and a little bit more broadly what the... Uh, Democratic kind of um, primaries has been all about. I do not have uh, my usual co-host Jackson. He's not here, unfortunately, but I uh, hope you're going well, Jackson, and he'll be back for the next episode. But I do have two great guests, which I'm really excited are uh, in the studio with me. And we, as I said, we're going to be talking about Super Tuesday and the Democratic race. So I'm lucky to be joined in the studio by comedian and writer Melissa McGlency, who is a contributing writer to Reductress and to the Batuta Advocate and Daniel Lopez, contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. James, thanks for the invite. Well, um, 
No problem. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming in. And uh, Melissa, I, I wanted to start with you. Um, I know we've got heaps to cover today, so uh, I think we'll just get straight into it. Um, you're an American citizen and eligible to vote in the, this election. Um, and you're going to be voting, I think, for Elizabeth Warren. In fact, I already have. Oh, awesome. Well, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Warren, um, you know, why she, I think she hasn't got like maybe that much media attention in Australia, particularly um, why she gets her, your vote. And I guess I wondered as well, if you have time, maybe we can talk about what's the actual process to vote from overseas. Yes. Um, first and foremost, I cast my vote for Elizabeth Warren for many reasons. Um, I've been a huge fan of her ever since. The first time I became aware of her was like, when was that? Like 2013 government shutdown. And I was working my first job out of college at a feminist magazine. And there were just these videos going viral of Warren being one of the few senators with courage enough to like really stand up there and lay the blame for that where it deserved to be laid, which was at the feet of the Republican Party. And ever since then, I've just loved the way she does politics. She's built her career on defending the middle class, protecting them from bankruptcy. It was such an important issue to her, actually, that it's what launched her into politics. You know, she was the founder of the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, which she was later not allowed to run because of Republican politics, et cetera, et cetera. She is my ideal candidate. And it does not hurt that she's a woman, mm -hmm. especially in a country with so much institutionalized sexism to reckon with. Uh, I think having a woman in a position of power is a great place to start addressing that. Cool, cool. Um, well, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. To, I think that, um, you know, we saw a pretty different campaign with um, a different woman, Hillary Clinton, last time. It, um, you know, Warren and Sanders have certainly, uh, you know, had a couple of run-ins, but shared a lot of the spotlight from, I guess, more of a left-wing perspective. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, and that's one of the, the things I really take issue with is how often she is, you know, grouped in with Hillary when really their platforms couldn't be further apart. Mm. She... You know, people say her and Bernie have a lot in common, which they do. I think their fundamental political ideologies differ, but they are much more aligned than Warren with Clinton. And it's unfortunate that just because they're women and maybe share a haircut, <laughs> that they're hmm. so frequently looped into the same category. And I think now uh, Warren is the youngest person in contention to be president. Oh, which boy. At 70 is still a bit of a problem. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's about time we imposed an age limit on the office. I yep, feel strongly yep. about that. And that's a big reason why I can't cast my vote for Bernie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, thanks. And we'll certainly return to some of those thoughts throughout. And Daniel, I think um, Jacobin Magazine has been very vocal in its support for Bernie Sanders. That's, uh, yeah, that's something of an understatement. Um, <laughs> you know, pumping out three to four articles a day on different reasons to support Bernie. Um, so I, I guess, you know, why why Bernie for you and might know some of those answers, but I guess, um, I guess a secondary question from that, I was wondering if you're concerned about whether Sanders' message is a bit too complex for, you know, a, a broader general election. I mean, we saw that argument, I guess, as being used against Jeremy Corbyn and, you know, certainly not in, certainly different sort of leader, but for Bill Shorten here as well. And do you think that message will get lost? Uh, let's start with that one because it, it, it goes into the other question, I think. Um, I think there's a very big difference between between Sanders' messaging and Shorten's in particular. Um, 
you know, Shorten's messaging, I think, was too little too late, and, and it was very complex. Um, you know, what were the franking credits, that, that thing? I don't understand that still. Um, whereas, you know, Sanders' message is, is, is clear-cut. Uh, Medicare for all. Um, tax the billionaires. Uh, cha- you know, basically fundamentally reform the political system so that it can represent working people um, and, and fight for their interests against corporate elites. Um, I think with Corbyn, and, you know, this could be a limit with the Sanders campaign, um, what, what Corbyn's loss showed wasn't so much a, a problem with messaging, but the damage that, that the 80s and 90s and 2000s did to the Labor Party under the, you know, basically Blairite leadership. Um, they just eroded their historic working class base and, and good messaging wasn't able to recover that, I think. Um, that could be a factor, you know. I mean, especially if, if the southern states look like they're going to block behind Biden, um, to really mobilise people against Trump, I think you need to do a lot of rebuilding and I think you need to offer to, to make their lives better. And that sort of gets into, into where, I'm, where I'm at um, as a Sanders supporter. Um, you know, I've been to the States a couple of times um, and, you know, I've been to the South and you know, I, I drove a few years ago up from uh, New Orleans to Memphis and to Tennessee uh, and the social dislocation is just horrific. It's, it's incredible. You know, you drive into a town and uh, there are these massive, you know, payday loan places, massive, massive um, pharmacies on the outskirts and like the poverty is just palpable. And, you know, I can't imagine a system in which uh, breaking an arm can, can put you in severe debt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, that's obscene to me. Um, and I think on a broader level, I think probably the world, or at least the, the Western world, is going through a really profound political change at the moment. The kind of 1980s consensus, the neoliberal consensus, has broken in a lot of ways. And I think what we need are political leaders that can express a, a democratic socialist um, agenda that can rebuild a welfare state that can rebuild politics and that can start to overcome some of the grotesque class inequalities that exist everywhere. So I guess uh, what attracts me to Sanders is is the clarity of, of that message and that campaign. Um, and, you know, I think I think that he's got a chance if he doesn't win the pre-selection, and we don't know yet, we'll talk about that soon, but I have a strong feeling that this style of politics will, will define the next 20 or 30 years. And even if it takes longer for it to, to come to power, um, you know, that something like 2.4 million people were door knocking for him in the first round of, of primaries. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. This is big stuff. You know, and that's, that's something I find really inspiring. I think, you know, the Trump presidency has really highlighted, um, I'd say highlighted, not created, the kind of a lot of divisions in the United States. And I think arguably, you know, the Obama um, presidency did that as well from a different perspective. Um, I think, you know, throughout this kind of democratic primaries, we've heard a lot about unity and change in the campaign so far. I mean, what do you both see as both those kind of things? What's Where's the importance in, in either unity or the need for change? I'd say it's a very careful balance of both. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think change isn't enough. I, I wish it was. But when you look at the numbers, Sanders has not been getting the kind of turnout that he needs for his political strategy, which is to turn out more new voters than he needs to convert, you know, swing voters. And so far, we just haven't seen that math paying off. Turnout numbers in the primaries have not been greater than levels of 2016 turnout, which is really troublesome at this point, and is also disappointing because following the midterms, I think a lot of people had hoped it would be stronger. And because of that, there needs to be some unity Trust me, I would love to live in a world where we didn't need to woo swing voters, right? Where we didn't have to worry about the Trump-Sanders voters or Trump-Biden voters or whatever, but we do, unfortunately, mathematically. 
And that's where the unity comes in. You have to give a little and be willing to unify in this two-party system where otherwise you just fall short numbers-wise. Hmm. I, I sort of remembered the first round of primaries. Uh, one thing that I thought was really remarkable that, um, okay, so I, I take the point about the overall turnout, but then within the Sanders vote, I do recall that there was a significant proportion of, of Latino voters and, and working-class voters. And I remember reading one, one story about... Uh, you know, a group of workers that were on an overnight shift uh, and they were organised to attend the primary caucus like immediately after that, that overnight shift. That's just remarkable to me. Um, and for me, that's, that's an example of, of a broader thing, I think. Um, the last couple of decades, in, certainly in Australia, in the United States, in, in the UK, uh, politics was all about capturing the middle ground, you know, and, and electorally that was viable. But this led to a world that was far worse. I mean, you know, this led to the 2008 financial crisis and the, the bailout for the banks, which, which I just read the other day, Elizabeth Warren supported. Um, you know, this, this is a world that's created vast inequality, that's, you know, concentrated this huge amount of wealth in the hands of a few billionaires. I think, you know, to have a unity that gives, that can actually produce change, you need to organise a base. And that's what we're seeing in, in the Sanders campaign. And that, to me, is, is enormously inspiring. In a way, that's what politics should be about. It's, it's about getting people together and articulating their interests and, and giving them a voice so that then when you go and argue to the middle ground, you can convince them. You know, you don't necessarily try and do politics by catering your politics to what people already think. You lead. And obviously there's a tactics to that. You know, I'm, I'm not just um, for going nuts and, and, you know, having the most maximal demands you can think of. Um, but I think, you know, with the ecological crisis, what it is, with, you know, the instability of the world the way it is, I think we need that kind of well, a transformative vision needs to have a mass base. And, you know, Sanders is, is really having a go at, at organising that. And I think that'll be an enduring legacy of his campaign, even if he doesn't get the pre-selection. Uh, I think the first time I really got fascinated by this whole process, which is so vastly different to choosing leader in Australia, was uh, reading Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail, which is about the 78 election. Um, and, you know, obviously in Hunter's style, it, it really... Uh, you know, had this amazing kind of, of feeling of what this whole, you know, process feels like. And it shows a real um, embodiment of democracy, I think, in a lot of ways that we really lack in Australia in terms of being able to have a greater part of the political kind of process. But one thing that, you know, particularly, I think, you know, Obama um, and, you know, you're seeing throughout this campaign, which is further highlighted by Mike Bloomberg, is just the obscene amounts of money that's being spent. And, you know, on the one hand, you have people, you know, like Warren or um, Bernie Sanders talking about, you know, how much inequality is in, in society and in America. And yet, I mean, I, I know that Bernie's getting his can his money from, you know, mostly individual donors and things. Well, we don't know. But <laughs> It's dark money. We don't know who's donating. Sure. But, yeah. I mean, wherever the money, wherever for all these candidates, it is, you know, billions of dollars that is just going nowhere, essentially. I mean, yeah. you have candidates who be in the race for a few weeks and spend millions and millions of dollars. I don't know. I find that's a, it's a really hard position to kind of justify, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it would be fantastic if we could spend a quarter as much on these elections and spend those instead winning Senate seats. Mm hmm you know, but that's the unfortunate part is that presidential elections are sexier. They get more attention, flashier. Um, if we were smarter, we would be dividing up that those resources and spending them on contested congressional races, Senate seats, local elections, small politics. Great. 
Uh, unfortunately, that's not the way it goes. And I would love to see anyone get an office who would take down Citizens United, really reel in some of that campaign spending. Unfortunately, it looks like no one in the race would be willing. And I know Elizabeth Warren has come under a lot of fire recently for agreeing to receive money from a super PAC when up till now she had been pretty vehemently against them. But I don't think we're talking enough about the fact that I just alluded to, which is Bernie's money doesn't technically come from a super PAC. It comes from a nonprofit. But because it's a nonprofit and not a super PAC, there's no accountability and he is not legally required to disclose who his donors are. So I find that a little hypocritical. And frankly, I think the fact that we've spent so little time talking about it and so much time talking about where Warren gets her money from problematic. I think there's probably an inherent kind of trust in, you know, that whatever people have disagreements about the kind of policies and ideas of what Bernie has said, I think that there's uh, rarely been a time where he said something then the opposite has been true. So, I mean, I think that that is probably the reason that it hasn't come up as much. And, you know, I think it's quite unique in the way that the campaign has been decided, not not just now, but in 2016, the kind of um, huge mobilisation of a group of people to be involved. It's certainly, it's not the same amount of people, the amount of people that were, um, you know, voting in primaries for Obama was far greater, but people that are committed, I guess, to a long-term kind of platform for it. But, yeah, I guess interesting. I wonder if that, you know, might be something that, Biden or Bloomberg or, you know, in the future, Trump may use as a target against Bernie? It's possible. I mean, the fact of the matter is political finance makes everyone dirty. <laughs> no one comes out looking good in that mm-hmm. scenario, I think. Well, I mean, we do have access to quite a bit of, of information, though, don't we? I mean, I think I recall reading that the average donation is something like $25, um, you know, so and this is drawn from millions of people. And, and the, you know, the kind of professions that, that back Sanders, you know, you've got teachers, you've got nurses, you've got, um, you know, blue-collar workers... Um, hospitality workers, like, you know, it's a shopping list of the contemporary American working class, whereas, you know, with, with Warren, um, it's upper middle class professions. And then with, you know, you get to Bloomberg, it's it's CEOs. But with Biden, it's, you know, managers. Um, you know, so I th- that's, a, that's a huge thing. And, you know, you'd be a strange CEO to give Sanders a lot of money. Um, <laughs> maybe there's one or two out there. Or Warren. There's the reason none of them are getting tech money. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think one thing maybe we can agree on is uh, I just, there has to be a cap on, on contributions. It's, it's, such, it's so anti-democratic that mm. someone like Bloomberg can just rock in and spend his own personal fortune on this and try and, if not capture the pre-selection, then you know, sabotage it for the genuinely democratic candidates. That's a really big distortion of, of a de- democratic system. Mm -hmm. Uh, We might just take a little quick break and we'll be back to talk about Bloomberg, Biden and some of the other candidates. Tune into 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, as well as music and performance. From 11pm Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, 8.55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for dismantling the system. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, 
there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kalta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frog and lizard, they really know the mining company gotta go. The Lizard Returns Protestival 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Uprise Radio and that was a quick little... Um, Announcements there from some of the events coming up. And uh, we're talking about Super Tuesday, and we'll, so far we haven't really talked about Super Tuesday, I guess. We've been talking about some of the issues that have come from the uh, campaign so far. But, yeah, maybe we want to touch on Joe Biden and Mike Bloomberg and then have a bit of a chat about um, some of the results. They're still coming in, I must say, and I think for some of the bigger states, um, like California, that it will probably be a few weeks before we know the clear results. Yeah, well, I mean, and and I remember back to Iowa. Um, I don't know what the the process of counting the votes is going to be like in each of the states in Super Tuesday, but it took a couple of days to figure out that that um, you know Sanders did a lot better than the early calls, um, and you know, of course, uh, Texas is is leaning towards him. California, you would hope, because demographically that is exactly the kind of place you would expect um, him to win. Um, and, you know, like looking at the, the results that have been published so far, a lot of states have been called on a very low percentage. Um, so we don't know. I mean, the thing that obviously we're hoping for is that Biden doesn't reach a clear majority out of Super Tuesday. But then the, the disaster, I think, would be if there is a contested convention um, and, you know, say Sanders comes out with a plurality but not a majority, then the superdelegates are called into action. Uh, and this is, you know, this would be the Democratic Party and the DNC absolutely sabotaging itself. I mean, that would be a real disaster for democracy. Um, I mean, unless, you know, miraculously they flock behind Sanders and they say, okay, yeah, the, the candidate with the most votes should have the, have the pre-selection. Mm-hmm. That's what they should do. But, you know, history, history would indicate that's probably not what they'll want to do. And, you know, the sad thing about that is, is it sort of indicates it's quite possible that the Democrats pre- care more, or at least the, the, the leadership, the hierarchy, cares more about preserving the status quo in their party than they do about beating Trump. Because I don't think that Biden can do it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you there, but I think they think differently, unfortunately. Mm. I don't think they would make a conscious decision to, you know, throw the superdelegates behind someone who they thought had a worse chance against Trump. But you can understand why superdelegates would tend to vote not for the anti-establishment candidate. I mean, they are, superdelegates are the product of an establishment, Mm. and an establishment of which Bernie is not really a part for his betterment, I think, but... They would disagree, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it is perhaps, um, I hope not too confusing for those that don't follow US politics that closely because um, the whole process with delegates and superdelegates and the college um, voting system is uh, super confusing, I think. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, Even for those of us who grew up there. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I think that over the last little while we saw, so um, in South Carolina, which is a state that um, Joe Biden had really been spending the the initial few weeks in campaigning on, and and he won um, that. And I think that has given him momentum into Super Tuesday. I see a stat this morning on CNN that I think it was up to 48% of people had decided within the past 48 hours who they're going to vote for. So I guess, you know, some of that last-minute momentum really does play a part. Um, but I guess, you know, we have to sp- speak about Mike Bloomberg. I think mm. for months people have been talking about him as this kind of, you know, dementor that was going to come and really engulf everyone's soul. Um, he spent something like $600 million on the campaign, and it seems he will not win anything. Mm. What, what was his point? Was it to stop Bernie Sanders from being elected? I think his point like most billionaires point is ego Mm. and self enlargement. Um, He has said that it is that he thinks Biden will do poorly. Mm. And now that Biden is not doing poorly, perhaps as poorly as some of us to the further left had hoped, um, he really has no excuse to still be in the, in the election. And I'm hoping he gets trounced thoroughly enough on Super Tuesday, which is, I believe, the first time he's been on any mm-hmm. primary ballot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he does poorly enough to leave. He has pledged that if that were the case, a lot of his financial backing would go towards the eventual nominee. So I hope he's good to his word and that's what happens. But, you know, who knows? There are those who are susceptible to the massive wave of advertising he has started and those who think you know, the best way to beat an evil, corrupt, fake billionaires with an evil, corrupt, real billionaire. So <laughs> who knows? But I hope not. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would add, but this is, this is more, yeah, more hypothetical. You remember Clive Palmer's tilt in the, the last Australian federal election? Mm. It was a total disaster. It was kind of a Mike Bloomberg in miniature, but a bit more ridiculous. 86 um, million, I think he spent. Something like that. Mm. Right. Um, and the outcome of that was, you know, he got he got trounced at every level. He didn't win anything. Um, but then very shortly thereafter, Morrison's government approved a pending application for a mining lease on an, a, an area in the Galilee Basin bigger than the Adani mine. Mm-hmm. So there was a very immediate political payoff. Uh, the Democrats have historically been a party of Wall Street. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned before the bailout that, that Obama began um, and that, of course, then you know was carried on after. Um, this could just be positioning uh, to gain concessions like that from whoever is the Democratic um, candidate. Um, that could be an element of it, I think. Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to um, start to wrap up, unfortunately. And as a lot of the, um, there are some states that are being called, but, um, you know, I think we saw this morning that um, Vermont and Virginia, I think Minnesota has been, um, Joe Biden has won Arkansas and Minnesota. Um, But yeah, these will keep coming in, not just today, but over the next few weeks. Um, So before we kind of finish up, I think um, you both got some uh, things to plug. Some, um, Lisa, I know you've got a comedy festival show coming up. They should um, let people know about the details. Yeah, excellent. I have a comedy festival show coming up. It is called The Briefing. It will be taking place at the Butterfly Club from April 10th to 19th, 8.30 p.m., It is a political satirical show, so I think this audience would very much appreciate Mm -hmm. it. And this audience is exactly the kind of people I want in the room because they will understand all my very niche Jeff Sessions jokes. So (laughs) please come along. In fact, I have a discount code for you. The word TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, will get you the cheapest tickets possible to the event. 
Excellent. And Daniel, you've got uh, another article coming out. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I do have one that uh, I've been working on, on Bernie Sanders and the Australian left. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye out, out for that in Overland magazine in the next next couple of days. It should be finished tomorrow once I've got an idea of what the primary results have been. But, you know, can I plug the Victorian Socialists? Because we're a very new little political party. Um, but, you know, I, I quite like this fact. We got more votes than Ocasio-Cortez in, in the state election that we ran in for the first time. We came in fourth after the Greens. So we're trying to do something similar to what Sanders represents in in the USA, and our conference is coming up on the 18th of April. So if that's the kind of politics that, that listeners are interested in, Victorian Socialists, you can join up and be part Where, of change. Where's the conference? Uh, I don't know if the location has been announced, okay. but if you become a member, it's easy to sign up online. Um, you know, the agenda will go out pretty soon, and it's a conference that's open to all members. You know, we're, we rely on, on volunteers and, and a membership base like that. Um, so that's easy to find out about. Well, thank you so much for both of you for joining us. Um, it's been great. And I wish we could have spent longer dissecting it all. But um, as I said a few times this year already, we're going to be covering the election uh, pretty, in, you know, as in-depth as we can. So perhaps either we might want to come back another time and, and keep chatting. Anytime. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that'd be great fun. Thank you. So we're just going to go out with a song here by Buck65 and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. So and nice is my middle name See I'm not the nerdiest Nor am I the dirtiest But I'm number one When it comes to being courteous You go on a trip I'll water your plants uh. Take care of your dog Teach your daughter to dance But no funny stuff I'm trustworthy and reliable I'm the nicest guy ever It's utterly undeniable yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.